header. Here is Mandrew. Sakon in position. Oh, what a goal! What a goal from Danny Mandrew! The shot comes in! Oh, what a screamer! But this is the real heart of soccer, quite frankly. Oh, my God, what a finish. Well, Jordan Flores met that on the meet. Hello there and welcome to LOI Arena episode five. Thanks for joining myself and Conan. I'm Con Murphy and he's Conan Byrne, whose Glenavon team beat Linfield 3-2 yesterday. I was just looking at your record uh, since you sort of came back into the team and stuff. One defeat in nine games for your team. So you're Glenavon are going very well. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put that down to myself, Con. Um, but yeah, it's we've gone on a great run. Um, and as I said, on, on our day, we can beat anybody, like proved yesterday. We were very comfortable winners over Linfield. We were 3-1 up. They scored a bit of a free, free kick from um, from the touchline. And mm. um, yeah, we were just, we were very good on the day and um, deserved three points. So it puts us in seventh position. We missed out on the top six, um, which is a bit unfortunate because it would have been great to get into that top six before the split because in that league, it splits in two. That split happened now. Yeah, that split happened yesterday. So, um, but we still have a fighting chance of getting a, Euro- a European spot if we finish seventh. So, um, yeah, and we're six points clear of, of eighth place. So that should be a. What way does that work, Cone? If you finish seventh, you can still get into Europe. Yeah. Yeah, it's strange the way it works. So we're going to be in the bottom half, the bottom six now. So we're playing against yeah. all the bottom teams. Um, but if we finish seventh, we go into a playoff with the sixth place team. If we win that, then we go into the semi-final of the playoffs. So third and right. third play fourth and fifth play. No, second play third and fourth play fourth fifth. Fourth play first and third play second. That's it, yeah. yeah. Something, something. And, yeah. and then if, obviously, but if we win the Irish Cup, can't, that doesn't matter then. We're, we'll be straight into Europe then. Yeah, and the cup match this Tuesday against Dungannon, so. Yeah, yeah, cup match this week against uh, Dungannon, so that's going to be a good game. Dungannon are, uh, I know where they're sitting in the table doesn't, doesn't, it, it, they're the only side con that plays, that, plays out from the back on a consistent basis. They've a great young a lot of good young players. And I'd recommend any manager con from the from the League of Ireland to go up and have a look at those young players because they can play football. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Um, well listen, good luck with that cup match on uh, Tuesday. LOI Arena, of course, brought to you by Pundit Arena and the team at Pundit Arena. Great to work with, I have to say, from our point of view. They've been fantastic. They really want to get behind Irish football and the League of Ireland in particular. Um, so you can follow us on Twitter at LOI underscore arena. Uh, and if you have any questions or any comments or anything like that, you can also email. It's just simply LOI at punditarena.com. Uh, today's guest is a former league winner with Bowes in 2001. A man, I suppose you'd say he's famous for scoring a screamer for Celtic against Rangers at Ibrox, a never forgotten goal. He's Paul Byrne and he's going to be with us uh, very shortly. But well, I say very shortly, Conan, Jeannie Mackers, we've so much stuff to talk about here. I, I actually don't know where to start, but since we were on last week, there's been managerial changes at Dundalk, which we had had alluded to on the programme last week, but uh, Declan Devine gone as well with Rory Higgins coming in at Derry. There were question marks about Waterford, although Kevin Sheedy was back on the uh, uh, manager's bench during the week. But it's been a, what, do you, what would they describe it, a tumultuous week in the League of Ireland. Yeah, they don't call it the greatest league in the world for nothing because we had a, a lot of entertainment this week, Con. Um, and I suppose it's not in a good way either, like this, the backle down in Waterford is just so strange, so strange. Yeah, Brian Murphy put Brian Murphy was out of the panel again for the game yesterday. Yeah, and then like putting out a tweet down last night 
wishing wishing his team the very very best of luck. So like it's just I don't know it's so strange. Like as I said last week, I I was thinking that the the managerial duo could be out of their depth at senior level. Um, if you can't handle your players, your senior players, a player that has the experience of Brian Murphy, um, yeah, I don't know. I I really don't know. Now, having said that, Conley had a fun, absolutely fantastic win, um, against obviously Longford, and um, they're on six points. Like they've got, they've won two games now. They've lost their, their their other ones, but um, that's why it's so important. Like you'd nearly take um a loss sometimes to get a win in other games rather than having draws all the time you know so yeah, um yeah. but yeah prince with the goal do you know what i noticed con we've had a prince scoring and a king scoring this weekend <laughs> are there any queens in the league? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. but um no i like waterford is it's, we haven't heard the end of that and that's um there's still going to be stuff i think so yeah i think there's going to be stuff coming out now in the next couple of weeks with dundalk yeah it's going to be it's going to be interesting what happens this week in terms of who's going to come in as manager i know jimmy jilton was saying that a lot of in, there is a lot of interest and of course there's going to be a lot of interest because of their financial position um they're going to be playing in europe um i even heard vinnie perth saying that he'd like to come back on and uh to get back to get to get the job if they asked him how would you feel about that con if you were a dundalk fan and, and um i suppose your manager that was treated so poorly by the club has then come back come out and said yeah i'd still go back it'd be an interesting one from vinnie's point of view it'd be a, it'd be kind of like a two fingers towards the uh the uh, owners of the club. Um, I don't see that happening. I mean, I could be wrong, but I, no, I, I don't, don't think that the Yanks will will go for it. It would be too much humble pie for them to eat in one sitting. Um, and I, I think it wouldn't be a bad shout, actually. I, I, I thought it was a bit hasty, the way they made that change. Um, <clears throat> and I, I can see from Vinny's point of view that it would be sweet. I just don't know. I, I, I think, actually... He might be better off to go to a different club, you know, yeah, when another 100%. opportunity arises. Yeah, I was surprised he said it, Con. Like, if somebody treats you in that way, like, and um, he kind of he he's kind of alluded to that in some of his interviews when he when he got the bullet that things weren't going like he wasn't making the decisions and and things like that. So why would you go back to that? I was oh, look, I thought it was very strange. Anyway, um, it'll be interesting to see who goes in. Um, I think if it was Jerry Little, I know we talked about it last week. I think if it might have been Jerry Little, I think it would have been done already. So I think. I'd say we'd probably have to rule him out. Um, so it'll be interesting to see who who takes the position there. Yeah, I know a, a number of Dundalk fans were a bit disappointed that Derry were quick off the mark and got Rory Higgins. Um, obviously, with Rory's background at Dundalk as well, and uh, they got off to a great start under him. That, that I mean, that was a brilliant win at Sligo for for uh, Derry, um, patching from the penalty spot. But um, some Dundalk fans were a bit peeved that Derry kind of got in there first if you like i don't even, um, I, I don't even think it was that i think and in, 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 in fairness to rory he's from limavadi but he's considered he's he's dirty true and true in terms of in terms of his football and i he actually mentioned in his interview that it's the only club that he would have left his role for in, in the ireland job and um, to take and i think look i think you have to take his word for it i don't i think as um, I know Rory, I've got to know him over the last number of, number of years. I don't think he would have taken that Dundalk job if they offered him what any amount of money. I think he's 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 an. I think he's very very cute. He's got great experience. He's very very well thought of in footballing circles in terms of coaching. Um, and I've I've no absolutely no doubt about it that he's going to be a success up in Derry. 
Yeah, I, I actually heard the interview after the match last night um, with um, um, one of the radio stations up there and he was quite kind of emotional afterwards, which I think bears out the point that you make that this was his hometown club and to, you know, take the reins. I don't. Did you see that BBC documentary, the, the different league, the Derry City story? My God, Con, it was brilliant, wasn't it? It was really, really Fantastic. good. Fantastic. Yeah. Even that, that last yeah. five minutes, I, I was just... Jeez, it was so emotional and it wasn't there like I know Derry City are part of the League of Ireland we're all part of the family like but Jesus could have swore I was uh, a Derry City fan myself when I saw Jim McLaughlin coming in and um, that the pictures of Jim looking at the video of the, the old matches yeah. and identifying the players and stuff was very moving I have to say absolutely very, very much so absolutely. but do you know the one thing that struck me watching that and kudos to the people who made it it was fantastic there was some great archive footage there that I had never seen and I thought I'd seen most stuff related to the League of Ireland but it was brilliant and um, Again, just on the week that was in it, and I know we're not going to talk at any great length at all, maybe even about the European Super League. I think everything that's had to be said about that at this point has been said. But again, it just reinforced to me what the League of Ireland is, you know, that that it's a community. I mean, especially in a place like Derry, where it's the one team representing, you know, it's the same in Cork and stuff, uh, albeit Cove or down the road. But you know, when Sligo, when a team is representing the locality, um, it there is something special about that. And you could see that. I mean, obviously, th- there was the whole political aspect and, the, and, and in a way, going to the matches for those people initially was a, a two fingers to the Crown Forces and whatever. But um, even today, it's a very special place. to go. I don't know as a player if you got that when you went up there, but I, I certainly know as, as somebody who's been working at matches in Derry and stuff, it's always a marvellous place to go to I love going to Derry Con um, and for that reason the atmosphere was always outstanding it was yeah. unbelievable um, and yeah I, like I, even I, in quite an open stadium you know because like it is very open dog track yeah, and stuff. yeah yeah what, like I've only, I've only played at the Roy McBride if, like numerous times I can remember the old Brandywell when I was Jesus show me age now but um, yeah it was just a fantastic atmosphere and as the lady said in the documentary, they, she saw it as a kind of like an oasis. She got away away from the Crown Forces um, just being able to be there with your friends and enjoy football. And I think that's what it was. It was just like, and, and you mentioned the word community. Community is is everything in the League of Ireland. And some League of Ireland clubs, can't, they still don't get it. They still don't get it that the community is the heart and soul of your football club. And um yeah, I think when you say the clubs don't get it, what are they not doing that that they could be doing better? Enough, they're not doing enough, con. Um, they're not getting out local into the, schools, yeah, local not businesses, get, not, yeah, just not getting out into the heart of the community and um and and it's like everyone says, oh yeah, schools, clubs, free tickets, this that. You have to go out and help the community, con. You're a football club. Go out and help the community to ask them what do they need rather than saying, right, well, here's an advertising hoard and that's going to cost two and a half thousand euro. Um, for this, you'll get this and happy days. It's not about that. It's you go, you go to them and you say, what can my club do for you? And that's the approach that clubs have to take. And yeah, we, I, I don't think we do enough. Now, having said that, look, there's numerous clubs in this league that do fantastic work in the community. As I said, the likes of Bows and, and clubs like that. And most clubs can't, but there is still some that are lagging behind and they'll give excuses towards maybe the FAI funding. But some of the, a lot of it can, you can do it for absolutely nothing. Yeah. 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 Well, um, I don't know whether there will be a bounce when um, fans are able to come back to matches here. 
just judging from Twitter and stuff, there have been some people saying, you know, I was a Liverpool fan, but I've kind of thrown my hat at it now. I want to get behind the League of Ireland team. Whether that actually bears out in the long run, I don't know. But there is a slight sense of that at the moment. I think that, um, you know, there is something good here right on our doorstep. I think if fans had been, um, if fans were allowed in at the, at the ground at the moment, Con, and the Super League stuff had happened at the same time, I think we would have saw a huge influx of supporters this weekend, at this weekend's games. Um, just to see what it was like, even just to say, right, well, I'm going to try this out. Um but because we're still behind, especially with the good weather and everything, yeah, as well. I think still the fact we're behind closed doors, um, that kind of appetite might might waver after a little while. Mm-hmm. We'll see. I mean, the other thing is, I suppose the other part of that equation is once people are able to go to matches again, there will be an appetite, I think, for people just to get out of the house and go and do stuff. Whether it's to go to a, the zoo, you saw the demand for the tickets for the zoo, museums sport whatever so hopefully there might be a knock-on effect for the league of Ireland, but i suppose we won't know until till it happens you mentioned the zoo so you might be people might be going to waterford or dundalk so <laughs> <laughs> i'll say nothing uh listen just very briefly going through the i mean pat's another win for them i know somebody actually a friend of mine had billy king at 12 to 1 to be the first goal scorer in that game so that was nice and um, matty smith the other goal that's a good win for them up in harps i mean they're going great st pat's 17 points um Along with Shamrock Rovers, who beat Bowes two uh, one, um, twenty nine games unbeaten now for Shamrock Rovers in the league. If, if you take last season into this, um, Pat's going up to Harps. That was a bit of a statement, wasn't it? I think so, Con. Yeah, I think they were very, very good. The two goals in particular were absolutely excellent. Billy King's first one, very, very uh, good skill and, and a composed finish. And then the second one, all three, all three fours were involved. I actually mentioned that. Um, and I said again. I said I keep bringing it up that I didn't see them scoring with too many goals this season. Um, and I'm absolutely thrilled. Obviously, being a former Pats player, that that they started so well, um, and especially that front three because they've really struggled over the last number of years of, of scoring goals, creating chances. That's always and, been the issue, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and that's they've been absolutely superb since the start of the season. And two goals up in Bally Buffet is very very difficult to get, let alone one. So um, and for all three players to be involved and quality as well in that final third um, was great to see and, and Maddie Smith with a great goal but I've really really been impressed with Jamie Lennon now obviously there's been talk of Chris Forrester we all know how brilliant and how how he's back to how he seems back to his best um, and that's fantastic but I think J- Jamie Lennon J- Jamie Lennon has been um, the dark horse in the St. Pat's side he um, came through in, in around the time that, that when, when I was there obviously and I got to play with him for one or two seasons um, at when he was only 20, 20, 21 maybe, and um, but he's just gone on again. He um, he always tries to play the ball forward. He very rarely loses the ball, and his passing range is absolutely superb. For and that's for a team like St. Pat's who like that play that brand. You need a player in there that can that can deliver pinpoint passes, be it short or long. And Jamie Lennon is the player player that can do that. I know. Chris Forrester can do that and Pats have put up various tweets about his abilities over the last number of weeks but I think they're trying to keep Jamie, Jamie Lennon's cards a little bit close to their chest because uh, I've really really been impressed with him this season Yeah well, overall they're playing really well uh, 17 points along with the Shamrock Rovers what was your view on the penalty at Tala did you have a strong opinion one I'll way t- or the other No I'll tell you what I, I actually thought on first viewing that it was a penalty Um, I, I, I don't know just out of reaction I was like penalty that's what I said when I was watching it, and um, he gave it, and that was fine. But then I saw the replays, 
And I think that's where we kind of, we judge things, don't we? Straight away, we're like, oh, that wasn't a penalty. We've got to remember referees don't have replays to see and they have to make a judgment call straight away. Now, I'm not defending the referee because referees only standing five yards away, so he should see that straight away. Um, I'm just saying from my point of view. But I was very surprised to see him get the game, if I'm being totally honest, after what happened a couple of years ago with uh, with the Lee Grace incident. Um, when, when the ball hit his face. When the yeah. ball hit his face. Um, like, that ruined the game that day. And you could say that it ruined the game the other night as well. Especially with the sending off, Con. Um, double jeopardy. See, I think yeah. the, the problem is, though, if you give a penalty in that situation, are you not almost obliged to send the, the defender off? Because... Well, okay, that's the old rules. I remember when when um, I played, we played Warren Point, and this is um, on Tuesday, and a ball was crossed into the box. Our striker went in, just about to tap it in, and Daniel Bourne, former Shells and Bowes player, um, came in from behind and took him down just as he was about to put the ball in the back of the net. He got a yellow card for that. Now, what, what is the wording of the new rule? If you're attempting to play the ball or something, it's it's not a, an immediate red card, even if it is a goal-scoring chance for the striker. Not 100%. I'm really not 100% sure. But at the same time... By the way, you should know and I should know. We should both know the answer yeah, I know. Yeah. I don't but, know either. But my point is, but my point is though, he's, he's just trying to... Sh- like, Finity's just trying to shepherd it, like, just trying to, like, arm him away. Just like, And you, you see that in every corner of the pitch... Um and it's never a, never a fell, and oh yeah, I just I don't know. I just didn't think it was a penalty on second viewing. As I said, first Although, viewing, yeah, I it was. absolutely, I agree with you. But I, I, on first viewing, I did think it was a penalty. So again, what about your second? And I, and my my <laughs> angle was very similar to the referees. So what about your second can, and third viewing? It's a grey area. <laughs> Wait, do you actually think it was a penalty? Did you? Uh, no, it's harsh. No, 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 no. It was it was harsh? Um, and and you know the double. Uh, whammy of of a red card as well, you know. Really, I, in fairness, I thought Bowes played really some great football. So in the first half, I thought Rovers played some great football as well. Like the quality of the passing, the movement, and stuff was it was a joy to watch. And Bowes have an awful lot of good. I think Bowes and Dundalk, who are both, you know, in the bottom half of the table, are both going to zoom up the table pretty soon. Yeah, yeah. Well, you'd like to think so. Um, but you're, you're right. Bowes were absolutely superb. I say from minute fifteen. Minute 20 onwards, I thought Shamrock Rovers dominated that first 10 minutes. I was actually worried about Bohemians, Con. I thought they were going to, they were getting picked off. They were, the one-touch football that Shamrock Rovers were doing in, in, the, in that opening spell, I was like, this could be a cricket score. Um, and then Liam Burt missed that glorious chance to make it 1-1. And then, but what I loved about him, Con, is that if you miss a big chance in that game, you'd see the players crumble, absolutely crumble in front of you. And um, But he showed great character and he was absolutely superb. For the, for the remainder of the game. Um, and Bowles, their counter-attack was absolutely spot on. Um, Keith Long had them, knew exactly where, the, where to play the balls in, down the channels. Um, and yeah, Bohemians are, Bohemians were very unlucky not to come away from, from Tala with, it, with, with something from it. But I agree. I, I don't yeah, know. They responded well, like the goal from Tierney was a good goal. Um, and I think they they're going to be challenging for Europe even though they're in the, the bottom half at the moment I, I, I've no doubt about that um, bad week for them though because obviously they lost at home to um, Sligo midweek as well um, yeah that was disappointing for them um, Dundalk uh, 2-1 winners against Drogheda Dave McMillan and, and Han his first goal for Dundalk the uh, South Korean 
Um, Drada hitting back with Chris Lyons in the last minute. Um, Drada again in the second half gave it a good uh, lash, but a, an important one for Dundalk to get that you know win under their belt. Yeah, and we were talking about the, the community coming together and the, commu- um, the word community itself. And Dundalk showed that in abundance with their virtual match day with uh, the the funds going to Sonia Howie, a former player of theirs, and that's what. That's what the League of Ireland is about, Con. You know, bringing that that community together, and we wish Sonia obviously all the best with her treatment. But um, yeah, Dundalk getting off the mark it was um, David McMillan obviously coming in and goal and assist for him. Um, superb header for his goal, getting getting him across his marker. Um, textbook stuff, I suppose. And um, Chris Lyons, Con, it's his first Premier League goal since August two thousand and sixteen. So a long time coming for Chris Lyons. Yeah, so he's um. He's, uh, as I said, he's he's going to score goals. I think he'd be more of a creator than a goal scorer. But um, yeah, pity it was just so. Well, yeah, it's pity so late in the day. Too late for them to really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But as you said, Dundalk, um, um, Dundalk off the off the mark. Yeah, good win. Uh, Waterford beat Longford one nil. Uh, we mentioned that one with the goal from Prince. And I, actually, I was thinking, you know, you were talking about Prince and King. Is there a uh, is there a Mac Queen in the league? Yeah, maybe not in the prem anyway. Um, Derry one nil winners. That that win up in Sligo, um, Sligo Rovers' first defeat of the season. Will Patching nerves a steal from the penalty spot. Raf Grataro, of course, on the bench now at uh, Derry against his uh, former club, so he'll be well chuffed with that. So Pats and Rovers seventeen, Sligo fourteen, Finn Harps eleven, and Drogheda eight. Bows seven, Dundalk, Waterford six each, and Longford and Derry and f- five points apiece each as well. So it's still um. Still all to play for, as they say, in the Premier Division's long way to go. And um, I'm still, think, um, yeah. I'm still afraid that gap might might continue to go. Con, it's like, would you? Yeah, I'm just yeah. Like, yeah I, but, I don't know. I, can you see Shamrock Rovers losing three or four games for them for for the rest to catch them? You know, do you know what I mean? Or like, I know. I see them drawing. I could see them drawing a few. You know, and um, it's going to take. Like, I know it's still very early, but the likes of Dundalk and Bose, if they want to get, they want to get a you know win three matches in a row or win four matches in a row or something and suddenly you're you know right back in the in the race although Bows have we'll talk about it later on Bows have to play uh, Derry next weekend which is not a, an easy game for, for them now um, will we um, just looking we might talk about the um, first division and the women's national league a bit later on in the programme an interesting uh, weekend in both divisions just before we leave this for the moment um, there was a minute silence at Tala uh, before the game for Jerry Mackey who is a former Shamrock Rovers player from the 1950s and Irish international. Uh, he actually captained Ireland against uh, England at Wembley Stadium in 1957. And obviously you'd be you'd know his son, Dave. Um, you would have probably played against Dave down through the years, um, Conan. But uh, Jerry was a great man on and off the field. He was very involved with um, Cram, you know, the Keep Rovers at Milltown uh, movement. And um, there was a minute silence before the match uh, for Jerry. And I think had a crowd been there, there would have been a minute's applause. So uh, to to all the Mackies, uh, we pass on our uh, condolences. So will we, um, as I say, we'll look at the uh, First Division and the Women's National League a bit later on in the podcast. But uh, I've been looking forward, I must say, to chatting with Paul Byrne. So why don't we do that now, Colin? Sounds good, Colin. Paul, great talking to you. And we were just saying earlier on, you know, you are famous for that goal uh, for Celtic against uh, Rangers at Ibrox. But there's so much more to your career than than just that goal. And and maybe if we take you back to the very beginning in your early days as a young lad playing with Bluebell, um, Stephen Kenny was in the same team as you. Was is that right? 
Yeah, Stephen was there. I mean, a few a few lads there um, over the years. John Connolly went on to be an international as well, goalkeeper. Um, with a few decent players, but Stephen was one of them. Yeah, I was good friends with Stephen. He was a local talent lad at the time, and Bluebell was sort of red cow when I lived in Inchicore, Blue Bluebell. So it was sort of bang in the middle, sort of to attract players from nearly everywhere, Clondalk and Ballyferm and Tallet. But we did get a few from Tallet, and we had a, a grand little side there, Con, yeah. Was he any good? Uh, Stephen was dangly, as I used to always. It was just a funny, a funny story goes back over the years that Noel McCabe always drove 150, and it was a scout that picked up Roy Keane to extend him to Forest, you know. And uh, they were sending me to Oxford one time, and they invited Stephen Kenny along. And still to this day, every time I see Kenny, I say, Jesus, Kenny, thanks for, thanks for the company. Because that was the only reason he came to Oxford, was to keep me company. <laughs> and he, I think... <laughs> I, I think he always a bit standoffish, you know, and then when, I, when he came to Bowles, um, I don't know whether he was a little bit intimidated or I don't know, but my career at Bowles didn't last too long either, so. Interesting though, because like you talk about going over to Oxford, you were only 13 years of age, Paul, when you went over, that that just seems like incredibly young to be going over there. Yeah, and you know what, Con, it was all great at the time when you're young and you're, you you want to go on, your ambition is to be a professional footballer, you're watching Match of the Day with your dad or whatever, and, you know, on a Saturday night, and that's all you want in, in, in life, you know, school, everything else comes second, and, you know, 13 then was, yeah, obviously a little bit ridiculous, but at the end of the day, nobody was going to stand in my way. I went to Oxford, they gave all the guarantees, it was a great club, they turned me from a boy into a man, um, I was there till I was 19, I was six great years, played with some great players, the likes of Steve Foster, Davy Langan, um, you know, all those type of players, and it stood me in good stead later on in life, because I had to mature fairly quickly, um, but then I had its flip side, sort of when I finished the game, Con, because, you know, the little, the little doubts in your head, and, you know, did your parents not want you, and, Little things like that sort of crept into over over the years, and uh, it wasn't a nice feeling at that particular time. But you know, today kids today just want to be footballers. Everything else is second. Education, no matter what, no matter what you say, no matter what you do as a parent, they're not going to listen because all they want to be is a professional footballer, and that's what I wanted to be. How early did you know, Paul, that you were a very good player? You know, it was funny. It was only when I sort of really, and people probably say, oh, Paul Bourne, you know, he's, he's a bubbly character, he's he's very outgoing, but the people that really know me in, in, in the smaller circle know, yes, I like a bit of fun, yes, I was a bit of a, a bit of a joker in the change room. You have a few in every club, and if you haven't got that in the change room, you've got nothing, because that brings the team together. It's a little bit of a bonding thing, and uh, everybody always made comments, and even when I left Celtic, um, I only started to realise now the job I actually did at Celtic under such bad times, you know, when Fergus McCann was there, we had to move to Hamden. I was playing in the first team, I was getting man of the matches in the first team, over players like Charlie Nicholas, Frank McAvenny, uh, Paul McStay, Peter Grant, people like that. And uh, it's only now that sort of like the, the Celtic fans are coming to me and saying, you know, you shouldn't doubt yourself that much, you shouldn't talk yourself down that much because you were, you know, a very, very good player in a, in a bad Celtic team or a bad Celtic time at that time, you know. They call me the Neely man, I nearly got a full international cap, you know. I nearly got, you know, a fortune out of the game, but I came in at the wrong time. Um, I was substitute against Russia. I didn't get on. There's little things that crept into my career. True fault of my own. Obviously, you know, off the field, I probably wasn't the best behaved, as everybody would know. Um, but that was the times that we were in. You know, I was with Steve Foster on the back of the bus drinking cans when I was 16. After coming home to Middlesbrough match or something like that, you know, after moving away at 13. I think I had quarters at 17. So I had to... 
I left home at 13, had kids at 17, so I became a father fairly quickly. And then out of the money that I was on over there, my first wage back account was 13 pounds, 50 pence back then. And they put me in digs. My second year in Oxford was 17 pounds, 25 pence and paid my digs. And my first year professional contract was 125 euros or pounds at the time. So people say, you know, why are you working for a bam on the building site now? It's because I have to, because the money wasn't around back then. And a lot of other people seem to get more upset about the latter years of my career, more so than myself. Because I think I've done okay. Okay, I'm not a millionaire. But the things that I've done on the, on the field and hopefully helping young kids today and whatever I can do in the game to help young kids. And I always train. I always coach how I played. You know, teaching kids outside of the boot. I used to run to school with a ball, hit the path outside of the left boot, outside of the right boot. Bonesy, how were you so good at free kicks? Well, I had a pile on in the middle of the field with small little triangles and you had a big triangle. I don't know whether you remember them. And I used to put my laces through the ball to hit the, the big triangle and bend the, the ball, the orange champion ball, into the small triangles in a, in a, in a pile on in the middle of the field. And my father had polio all his life. And he'd be looking out the window and he'd be telling me what part of the ball to kick and stuff. And they're the things that I remember from the game. And I was never really coached by anybody from the FAO or, you know, in England. At the time I went away, a cocky young Irish man with a bit of ability was sort of like well, a manager over there. Who's he think he is? So I had to battle through a lot of things to get to where I, to where I, where I was at. And uh, my talent obviously got me there. So I realised that I must have had something. Um, everybody would always tell you about how good you were, what a great touch, what a fin, you know, all these little things. And I start to think about them now, yeah. And uh, so the answer to your question is, a lot of people over the years have told me I was a decent player and, you know, they paid, this, they paid to come and see us play and I'm starting to believe it now and I can actually see the results of, of my career now. And going back to, as I said, going back to the very start, you were saying you were on the back of the bus drinking drinking cans at 16. You made, you made your league debut as a 16-year-old as well against Barnsley. Um, Ray yeah. Houghton was Ray Houghton was in the squad in, in the team as well. Yeah, there's you know we Billy Whitehorse. I remember a big fella called Jack McDonough coming across. When I first went over there, I was cleaning Davy Langan's boots, all those boots, and Ray Houghton's boots. And uh, we had Ken Fish, and it was a, you know the bald eagle Jim Smith just took over from. Uh, I think he actually stepped down, and Morris Evans took over, and they went to the Milk Cup and they beat QPR and the final at Wembley. And I was part of all of that, you know. I wasn't in the squad, but he brought me along for the experience. And it was just a, such a great time for me to go to such... I could have went to United. I could have went to Liverpool. I could have went probably at that particular time without being big-headed to a few bigger clubs. But I decided to go to Oxford because I seen the likes of Ray Houghton and John O'Rourke there and getting chances in the first team. And I knew at some stage if I'd done things right, I'd get a chance in the first team. And I did. And it's a funny story to that because I played I played a couple of games after that. You know, I won a couple of manager matches and stuff like that. And, and then Brian Orton, you know, Sort of took over at one stage, and uh, he brought me to Sheffield Wednesday in the FA Cup. He says, "I'm going to go over experience today." I said, "Look, Gaffer, no problem." I said, "Look, I'll go on the bench and I'll do me bit." He says, "No, you're not even going to be on the bench." And I was like, "Oh, okay." Then so how do you? I just, just straight out of my mouth without even thinking. I went, "Well, how do you get experience?" And he just says, "Look, you, you know, do you know what I mean?" So I was after getting two man of the matches and making me debut on. I was comfortable in the middle of the park with um, Sean Reck, uh, Ray Helton on the right and stuff, and. I did feel comfortable and I'd done well. And then from that day on, I just think I went downhill with Brian Orton. There was another story about him. We were out training. The reserves were playing the first team, as you know. Uh, on a Friday, they'd always get a little, a little 
practice match going and stuff like that, skate and stuff like that back then. And uh, he says to me, don't be hitting them crossfield balls. You know, cut out the show bounce and stuff like that. And I said, well, what do you mean? Like, I said, I'll see a pass and I'll hit it. And he goes, no. He said, do it now. So he, he tried to embarrass me and all the players were sitting down and we were having a chat. And I had my laces open with the tongue flipped right over. And he said, you better fasten your boots. I said, I don't need to fasten my boots. Steve Foster rolled me the ball. I hit a force and I pinged it and I went straight out to the youth team player on the far side of the pitch, straight to his, straight to his foot. And he sent me home. He sent me home. He sent me home to the training ground. It was just little things like that that they tried to bait me down and they couldn't. And, you know, it was unfortunate that I fell out with him. And obviously, that I was a dad then. I didn't really care as such because there was more things in life. Curtis was only a baby at the time. And I never really thought after I left Oxford, I'd get another chance. I ended up at Arsenal with, with George Graham and was there for nearly a year, playing with the likes of Paul Merson, David Hilliard, um, Anders Limpar. Now, all these type of players that I, you know, Ray Parler, I started playing a few reserve matches with them as they were breaking through, and that stood me in good stead too. Then, obviously, when I came back to Bangor, the, the, you know, everybody knows the story about Bangor. Um, a fella called Jimmy Jackson, which you will probably know from schoolboy football here in Dublin, rang me. And he says, Paul, would you be interested in going up to the north tonight? What sort of standard is that? Like, I was just going to play League of Ireland. He said, no, seriously, finish off the last six months and, you know, we'll see how it goes next year. So I went up and scored something like 18 goals in six months. And then the following season, I got 23 goals. I won the, the Bass Irish Cup for them, scored the winning goal in the 89th minute. I won the Players' Writer, players, players, the Writers' Junior, Writers' Senior, Players' Junior and Players' Senior of the, all the awards. And then... Georgie Best gave me awards at the awards night and I just signed a three-year contract at Glasgow Celtic. So all the things previous to Oxford, the moral of the story is that I worked so hard out of Oxford and Arsenal. Stood me in good stead when I went to Bangor and then I signed for, obviously, my dream club, which was Celtic. Um, we were talking earlier on before you came on, Paul Conan has a, an Irish Cup uh, match against Dungannon uh, during the week, so he's going to try and emulate your achievement of winning an Irish Cup. That one in '93, I was watching the uh, the video of that goal and the, the grainy old video and stuff, and it was a, a famous day for Bangor. Maybe we'll talk a bit more about that. But just before we do, you, you mentioned Arsenal there and playing in the reserves with the likes of Ray Parler and um, the late Paul Rowcastle. I suppose would he have been in in the uh, Arsenal yeah, reserves Rocky, around that time as Rocky. well? At the time, it was like Rocky was there and uh, you would have had the likes of Dave O'Leary, you would have had Steve Bold, Tony Adams. Um, Were they in the reserves? No, Michael Thompson, the, the, the whole club as a whole. But oh, like, right, back, yeah. then, back then, as you know, if players are getting injured or players are getting dropped, they played in the reserves. So you would have had your your core of your reserve team, but obviously two or three first-team players who had fell out with the manager or got coming back from injury would actually play with you. So we'd play with the likes of Julian Dix and you'd play with Anders Limpar and Ray Parler was breaking through. David Hilliard was breaking through at the time. Michael Thomas. Um, players like that that I was actually playing with in, in the reserve. So it was great. Even though I didn't make a first-team appearance, it was just great to, to be learning and playing with these boys. And Ian Rice, was he around at that time as well? Because I'm thinking like you're obviously a big character and I can imagine Ian, even as a young fellow, was quite a big character as well. I can imagine the two of you having a bit of crack. <laughs> Yeah, we did actually. We, we, we spent about six weeks together. Um, I remember he signed on the night of we were playing. We were playing someone in the Champions League or back then a, a European Cup game. And um, the night he signed, I sat beside him at the match. We were watching the game together, and 
obviously got to know him within the within the six weeks that I had left at the club or whatever. But my biggest disappointment, and we always have this laugh with Jimmy Carter, you know. Uh, Jimmy Carter was obviously you know uh, Millwall, Liverpool, Arsenal, and uh, George Graham released me to sign Jimmy Carter, and that was one of the biggest disappointments in my career. And I used that, and Jimmy Carter does, you know, I do say to Jimmy, and you have a laugh about it and stuff. And I met George Graham a few years later, and he says, you know what? I said, I wish I had a let him, not bought him, and kept you. But you know, as I said, you're the Neely man, and Neely happened, but it didn't. And uh, obviously, then I went to I went to Glasgow Celtic, and I couldn't have went to Glasgow Celtic at a worse time. The club was on its knees financially. The board of directors were, you know, it was just, it was just it was a hard time to play. It's hard enough to play with Glasgow Celtic under pressure to win trophies uh, in the first team without having to play with Glasgow Celtic against Rangers, stopping them doing nine in a row, and little things like that. Was it didn't help. Well, I probably was one of the best players in the three years that I was there, or two and a half years that I was there. And it's only now that I feel that I did play my part, and that's why I'm part of the Celtic Legends now. We travel all over the world, Thailand last year, Philadelphia, pandemic hit. And on that trip, you got the likes of Larson, and you know, you've got all those boys, Simon Donnelly, Jackie McNamara, John Hartson. And we all get together every four to five weeks, and we, we do a little bit of charity, we sign jerseys, we get stuff, and little videos and it's great to be involved in all that again you know I suppose when we talk to professional football players that um that have time on their hands Paul so yeah you, you obviously I knew have this was coming. I knew this was coming but go on <laughs> you're tra- you train at you finish a half 12 in a day what did Paul Byrne do after that bookies the bookies at that particular time um it's everybody knows it was a tough part in my life and, and, and things that I did regret. Um, and that was one of them. Um, standing in the bookies maybe from one o'clock to about six o'clock in the evening. Uh, if you lost, you were chasing. Um, and every, every gambler knows that, but knows what I'll be talking about there. And uh, I can blame other people, but it was myself that put myself in that situation. You know, did you get enough support when this happened? Lee Griffiths has happened to now. John Hartson that happened to. Uh, Chris Sutton that happened to but all these players had the help around you know had this sort of help and this is what I'm fighting against over here a little bit and I just think a lot of people think footballers yeah great characters they've got loads of money they couldn't be further from the truth you know a lot of footballers will go through a lot of problems depression broken marriages very early in their lives um, and then they just feel alone after after being on a, such a high and, and having so much to having nothing and being on a low and uh, some days you don't know what, what way to turn and, and to be honest which is if I wasn't a, such a strong character uh, which everybody knows I probably wouldn't be sitting here today really yeah have I thought about it that much yeah I would does it bring you back Paul you, you seem very emotional there talking does it is does yeah, it bring you back it, to those things yeah it does you know and then it goes back to uh, uh, sorry, lads. Just it goes back to when you're 13, and uh, you feel sort of uh, unwanted. And then when your career finishes, you, you get that feeling all over again, and it was hard. But uh, yeah, that's that's the sort of thoughts that go through your head, and it was tough. 
How did you bounce back, Paul? I'm, I mean, obviously, it must have been a, a, a really low time at that stage. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was uh, at the time my marriage broke up um, as well. And there was a lot of stuff that went on in my life. And good people around me, got great family around me now. And living with a lovely girl, Mary Spencer, who's been a rock. Uh, gorgeous, my grandson. So yeah, things things are good. Well, you know yourself, you have to sort of put things to the back of your mind. And people don't know what you go through on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, it is what it is. And you just got to get on with it. Can I ask you, uh, Paul, would you still have a bet? Or had, have you managed to put that aspect of your life behind you? It's like, it's like you always bet what you can afford, if that makes sense. If you're on eight grand a week, you'd probably gamble five. You know, if you're on two hundred pound a week, you probably gamble fifty. If you're on eight hundred, you're breaking it down into little sections. Yeah, a little football bet, a little coupon, but definitely the days of standing the bookies and, and and stuff like that are well, well and truly over because it doesn't end good. Um, and yeah, but look, at the end of the day, I've got quarters now and the, the grandkids and, and my daughters, and, and it's good. Things are good, but a lot of people don't realize what you go through on a day-to-day basis and how hard it is to fight the certain things and. I just don't think there's enough done in this country for players who are finishing. People think, oh, Paul Bourne, strong character. Ah, what about it? You know, it'd be nice for someone to pick up the phone and say, hey, Bonesy, how, how are you doing today? From the PFAI, whatever they call themselves. Um, someone from the FA or the, the, the FAI pick up the phone. Well, you're only home from England. How's things? Are you living at home? Not just me, just because just, this happens on a, on a regular basis. The, the vultures jump on the bandwagon to get the few quid to get the kid across, kick him across, and then once he's across, they make a few quid. But when he comes home, what has he got? His father's bragging rights are gone in the pub. He can't live in the house because you better, you're not living in this house. You better get out and get a job because you're not living in this house. You end up fighting with the parents. And then they're going out and they're getting into the wrong company. The nearest thing to making money from being a footballer and the big watches and the cars and stuff is drugs, which we all know it's highlighted all around Ireland at the moment about ex-players and what's happening. I just think there's a bigger picture here and there's a lot of stuff that we can do to help these players. You know, everybody knows when you come to the end of your career, you're 30, 31, 32, you know, maybe 33, 34, if you look after yourself. Pick up the phone. I see you coming to the end. Is everything okay? You got a job? and You know, I'm not being nosy with you, but just be a voice. And just every now and again, ring these players. Give someone a full-time job of, of taking care of these players when they finish. Because it's not an easy thing to deal with. They might be strong characters. They might tell you, ah, no, it's grand. But, you know, I'm a strong character and it gets to me. I just think that you kids gone away at 16, they come back and there's nothing there for them. There's literally nothing there for them. You know, we've got a League of Ireland league now that I think after after 19 years of age, where did they go? I've talked about this before, Paul, on, on, on numerous platforms about players coming back from England and um, they may seem like a bit of a failure. And they that's that that is the word, but they're not failing. Because Absolutely, we don't yeah. know we don't know what's going on in that kid's head. So I started I'm with a, I'm sorry for cutting across you. I'm with a group now, it's an English based group, it's called the football group. You can online and have a look at it. I am the director of football in Ireland, right? Basically what I'll be doing, this is the project that we're working on, is to do something about what is happening. Why can't we have someone from there? We can't get government funded. The FBI get the government funding for the sports and or sport Ireland and all this. I've looked into everything. The government body gets the gets the funding. No matter what ideas I have, you have, anyone else, 
the government body gets the funding and then you have to work off them. We these kids are going away and you hit the nail on the head. You go away at 16, you come home at 18, they feel they're a failure. The job I'd like to do is why don't we ring the club that they're coming from, get a full report. Why hasn't this kid? He's good enough at 16 to go away. He's got ability, he's seen something. He's in full-time training, probably getting the best coaching. Why is he can you give me a full report on what's happened with the kid? Has he got into trouble? Was he homesick? Does he drink? Does he bet? Can we have that? Send him home with a few bob in his pocket. Maybe the last maybe month of his contract, or two months of his contract, or a few pounds. We invest that few pounds into re-educating him. We link him with a college like Trinity College or uh, UCD or wherever it is. We use their grounds. We train them every morning. We don't put them on a on a on a, on a, a government payment. We pay them like an old FOSS course. They come to training. We look at this report and say, well, okay, this kid needs to work a little bit on strength and conditioning, or he was homesick or whatever. And then he might be disillusioned with the game completely, and we might want to re-educate him. So we speak to the college and ask, is there any courses going on in this college that we can re-educate this kid and push him forward and know that he's got the backing of somebody? If his parents don't, some parents don't want to know. Some parents don't even know how to deal with themselves, never mind the kids coming home. And the father's bragging rights in the pub are gone, and now he's giving the kid a hard time. And he, you're right, he feels a failure. People say to me, oh, you know, the FBI will do something like that. They haven't done it in 40 years. They haven't done it for me or anyone else in 40 years. So why are they going to change? And I just think this is something desperately needed, that when these kids come home, we don't just shove them under the rug and say, and forget about them and then bring the next, next batch of kids in. Because we could be letting the future of Ireland slip through a net because they've made one mistake or we didn't want to take an hour on the phone call to understand why he didn't make it or what the problems were. Can we fix those problems and, and help them to move on? Sure we can. If he doesn't want to play football anymore because of the experience he's had, we we'll re-educate him. Don't talk to drugs. Don't go selling drugs. Don't stand in the bookies all day. There's more to life. So why haven't we got that in place? Can anybody, anybody in Ireland, Mark O'Neill, all these people, the PFA, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get why we haven't got a section in the FAI, someone sitting down there saying, like, we've 40 players gone from this country, or 60 players gone from this country. Okay, that we, we need to know what clubs they're at. You know, where they're at in their careers. Every three months ring the club, say, is he progressing? No, he's, he's not doing so good. Okay, can we take him home? Will you just give us X, Y, and Z of his wages? Put it into a, into a course over here, re-educate him or retrain him and work on his weaknesses and make his strengths better. And find him a club here in League of Ireland where he might be happy at home or whatever, or find him a club in Iceland or somewhere like that. Why haven't we got that in place? Why haven't we not got that in place? Do the PFAI not have a, um, a project like this for players coming back? Do they not? Well, I know obviously at the end of a League of Ireland season for players who are unattached, they, they have the training sessions and stuff. But for lads who come back from the UK, does the, do the PFAI not have something in place for them? No? Does the FAI have that in place? Never mind the PFAI. Does the FAI mm. have that in a place for these young kids? Yeah, I think the PA... they, should have, they, should have, they should have a centre out there for these kids, where we re-educate them, put them through school, and have them on the training ground every day. That's what we should have. Not... And the, 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 the project that you're trying to get off the ground, um, how close is that to actually coming into being and being available to young lads? Yeah, it's going to be available very shortly. But... The thing is with me is that I'd love to work with the FEI instead of against them. But Paul Bourne will not get anywhere near the FEI because of who Paul Bourne is. They're still judging me as a 20-year-old or 25-year-old kid. 
got rid of the family and, and, and stuff like that by the time my kids are 31 and 27 and they're all grown up and I'm still only a young man. Well, let me ask you a question. I mean, have you spoken to the FAI in terms of saying, can we sit across the table from each other and discuss this? At this particular time, um, I brought something to the FAI a few years back. With, uh, I don't know whether you remember this or not. I was the one that brought Premier Skills Soccer Education into Ireland. And I think they didn't like that because it was a, you got an, an MDQ reward. So I'll break it down for you. Basically, your Kickstart 1 and Kickstart 2 would be an MDQ level 1 recognised by Wolverhampton College. And it was total street football. You educate kids on how you learn the game on the streets, brought in on the grassroots. And they shot me down. They just shot me down blank, clean. And then they went and told all the clubs that if they're going to have anything to do with Premier Skills, that they wouldn't get that little five grand, uh, I don't know what to give them, funding at the start of the year for bibs and balls and cones or whatever they got. So every club shut the door on me because they were afraid of the FEI at the time. And all I was trying to do was educate kids and help to play the game. Well, there's a new FAI, new new sheriff in town now, so maybe it's something that you might be able to um, get around the table with them and, and have a chat about. Because I think, I mean, Conan, you have said it before that um, for kids coming back, even just not only to you know get them a new club and stuff, but to reestablish their own mental self-esteem is very important. Make them feel that they're worth something. Make them feel that they're worth something. They're not a failure. They've gone away, they've given it their best shot, and for whatever reason, it hasn't worked for them. But what is the reason? Do you really want to play football? Because you've got ability. I've noticed in my my whole career as a player when when footballers have come back from England, um, ninety nine percent of them have found it very very difficult to adjust to life in the League of Ireland, and it's because of the fact that some of them have that feeling that oh, I'm I'm too I'm too good I shouldn't be here I should be back over in England because that's from from 8 to 15 I was the best player in the country I was the best player in my team and that's why I went away I should be making millions I should be doing really well I should be in the first team in England I should be making money and then when I come back it's just it's just a little feeling of I shouldn't be here and they don't put in the work Sir Joey O'Brien mentioned it last week with Jack Bourne and Jack Bourne was the best player to ever come one of the best players to ever leave this country he came back to the League of Ireland and struggled in his early days because he didn't want to be there and um, he wanted to be at the top and yeah Paul's right you need something in place for players coming back to to adjust to life back where they belong because they left at such a young age so they've missed out on the maturity and growth of growing up alongside your friends and peers at that age and you're coming back at 20 whatever could be 18 could be 22 could be 30 and you're like what do i do now and um yeah yeah it's just you're living with mommy because you can't you can't afford a mortgage so they live with mommy and daddy you don't apply to the rules they're on your back you go out, you end up drinking, you meet the wrong people. And let's be honest, there's out there, they're, they're coming home and they don't know drugs with their friends. And they feel unwanted. And he could have been our next superstar. If we had to just put a little hand out and say, like, you know, we have a full report here from the club. We are based in Abbottstown or we are based in DCU or we are based here. We train every morning between and get the likes of Glenn Crow, Tony Sheridan, the gifted footballers that know this country that are sitting at home on the couch. We should have them on the training ground, helping these kids, training these kids. Who's going to give Tony Sheridan a chance? Who's going to give Glenn Crow a chance? Nobody. You won't even look at them. And they're the most talented footballers that I've ever played with and against in this country. Speaking of giving uh, 
players a chance, Paul, just to, to um, change the subject a bit. Um, I mean, you spoke earlier on about winning the cup with Bangor and, and being top scorer for a couple of seasons and uh, having a great time there. And you re-established yourself there. And it was Liam Brady who sort of uh, gave you a second chance, if you like, when he brought you back to, to Celtic. I'd say when, was it a phone call you got from Chippy or how did that come about? Like It must have been a great feeling when they got in touch with you and said, we want you to come to Parkhead. I was on my way to Man City. I was going over to sign a contract at Man City. And at the last minute, I heard uh, Liam Brady. It wasn't a trial. He wanted to sign me. And when I heard those words, I was like, I want to go there. But the only downfall I had when I went there was I had to live with him for six months. <laughs> and I, don't, I don't need to tell you why I had to live with him for six months. <laughs> it was like... His nickname is Chippy. You know why he's called Chippy, right? And uh, he had me on salads. He, I, I used to be seeing flying steaks going to bed and he'd be sitting there eating chips and I'd be on salads. and oh. But anyway, he got me there. He got me fit. I was playing under a, a man, a, a, a gem of a man, which I love to bits. He reminded me of Marty Price a lot. I don't know what he's remember my Marty Price. Um, you know, he used to do all the FOSS courses for the FAI and I have to, I owe, I'm back to the story in a second about Frank and, and Liam, but Morris Price was a big, big factor, father figure in my in my life and in my career as a man. You know, coming back doing those first courses in in, in Kondalkin with him, with the likes of Richie Pordy, Tommy Dunn, Alan McCann, uh, Mark Reed, and we were all on the first course together and training every day. And it was like Morty was an ex army and he really pushed it to your limits and stuff. And, that's what got me. I was training on the first course down here. I think they were giving us 102 euros, 102 pounds at the time. Instead of getting your social welfare, you were getting your thing off the first course. You were training every day. I was playing in the north and I got myself fit. So this is what I'm trying to say. We should be able to put something like what I'm talking about in place because we had it a few years back. Roy Keane was on the first courses. We didn't give people social welfare. We put them on the first courses and we gave them the welfare money plus an extra 20 euro maybe travel. So they can get the training. They're coming and they're going to be in the same environment of, of all their other kids who are in the same boat. So they can all chat. We do group sessions. We'll have one-on-ones. And we'll have a report from the club why he hasn't made it. And we'll try and work on it. And that's all. It's not a big ask to talk to someone. I need someone to open that door for me to get in to speak to someone about it with the backing of good players who have, you know, a word that they can put in or whatever to, to make this stronger. It's not just me. Everyone thinks about it, but why hasn't someone done something about it? When I go to do something about it, the door's closed on my face because of who I was in my career. But that's, you know, it's it's hard and that's that's what makes things hard. You really want to get out and help other people, but the door just closed on your face. Yeah, well, it, it, it could well happen though, um, Paul. I mean, there is, at the moment, there is the force... Um, what is it, the EE? E, what is E-T-B. it called? Foss. Uh, e- the ETB. Spoke to Harry Kenny about it. ETB is it? ETB. Yeah, yeah. You've got, uh, yeah. You've got uh, a couple of a couple of courses going on, and um, but how many lads that have come back from England have gone onto these courses? But that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, you yeah. know, it's it, look. I hope it happens. Whether Paul Bowen makes it happen or someone, I just look to see that happen. And the company that I'm involved with from England is. Very, very thinking very, very strongly about it. John Hartson is back and he's going to be doing something similar in Wales. Of Simon Donnelly and, and Jackie McNamara doing something about it in Scotland. And I just think we should we should we should do it here. What's it called again? It's the football group. 
If you look right there, go on the website and go to even go www.paulburn.eu. Very good. Have a look um, at that. Yeah, I actually, I mean, it's definitely a project that 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 you know for the the fellas coming back, um, you know, is is very necessary. I think it yeah. really is. You know, so um, let's, get out, let's get out on the training. I'm sure Con like you'd like to get out on the training ground. Or, you know, ex players would like to you know come and do a bit in the training ground, have a cup of tea, have a chat, and help the kids. What a great feeling! Not a bad feeling in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you were talking there about Chippy putting you on the uh, the salads when when you went back to. Celtic, um, as Eamon Collins would say, were, were you carrying a bit of timber? Oh, come here. I was, I was probably drinking about 15 pints a night and having a curry every Friday, Saturday and Sunday down in Dublin. <laughs> you know, me and Ricky McAvoy, we'd have a, a, a crate of Budweiser gone on the train before we even hit Dublin. Straight over to the North Star Hotel and on the drink there as well. And it was just, it was just that culture at that time, you know. I thought I was never going to go back. I never thought I was ever going to go back to, to, to an English club after being at, when I came home after Arsenal. I thought, right, banger, and this is it for me. I thought, I'm, I'm, not, I'm never going to go back. And and then it happened, and going back, Chippy brought me in, and obviously he was eating the chips, and I was eating salads. And I think I got down from about 17 stone down to 13, 10 or something like that. Um, worked really hard on the training ground, forced on last off, done a bit extra in the mornings as well in the gym. Because I really wanted it. I knew that, the first chance I had, you know, I took advantage of it a little bit and I knew this chance was going to sort of set me up for for life, basically. Um, and it did. It, look what's come out of it. If I never scored those two goals against Rangers, played against them eight times, and I probably wouldn't be talking to you today because no one would want to know. You're just another one that fall away the wayside. But because I've done a little bit in my career and People still are interested in all this because it's Celtic. It's a Celtic family. They're interested in the things that the Celtic fans do for ex-players. Talk us through that crossfield pass by John Collins. What were you thinking? Do you know, John, that was, we, Dad, I always do, Dad had a, well, I call him Dad. And uh, he, he always had a magic wand of a left foot. He could do anything with it. He could sweet. When he hit a ball, it was sweet. And Frank Connor from the reserves used to always say to me, you know, our reserve team was, you know, Simon Donnelly, you would have had like Peter Grant, Frank McAvenny, Charlie Nicholas, Shay Gibbon and Goal, uh, Malky McCoy, who went on to manage Cardiff. Um, we did we did a decent side, you know. We won the reserve league in the two years that I was in the in the reserves or the few months that I was in the reserves. And uh, he always says to me, Frank used to always say, Oh break job, but he didn't die. He, you know, get up there, get up and get back, get up and get back. And he's always says to me, Get yourself in the back post, get yourself in the back post. And it stuck in my mind in that game. And when I seen John Collins sort of Turning inside and the crossfield pass. There was only one thing in my mind, and two things flipped into the head because my dad used to always say, if you can hear it fourth time, hear it fourth time, the keeper won't be expecting it. So I had Frank going, get up, get up, get up, and I had my dad saying, hit it fourth time. And obviously, everybody knows that the outside of the building, I caught it squeezing into the far corner. And from the time I left me foot, I knew it was going in. I don't know whether you see the video, you've seen the photograph. I'm actually, before the ball even hits the net, I've got my hand in the air. And so yeah, that was that was a, that was a special time, a special moment. Yeah, live on Sky as well. You are. It was live on Sky as well. Yeah. Uh, you know what can I say? Andy Gray, <laughs> I think he appreciated that finish. All right. It must be. I mean, like I've never played. Conan has played uh, and scored some amazing goals in his career. I've never played, but I can only imagine the feeling that must have been gushing through your veins when that ball hit the back of the net, you know, to to do 
that, such a spectacular goal in such a big match, you know more than anybody how important that match is to the fans of both teams. It must have been, when it comes to highs, it must have been as good as it gets. Yeah, you know, it was like two weeks previous to that, I'd scored a Hamden against them. I made it 1-1 at Hamden Park. Because we, we had moved to Hamden for the season, you see, while Parkhead was getting done. And uh, you don't forget, people forget, you know, you Durant, you know, Annie McCoist, Gary Stevens, Trevor Stevens, Mark Haley, uh, Basil Bowley, uh, Richard Goff. You know, players like that in, in, in the Rangers team that we were playing against. And then two weeks later, I actually played on the Saturday in the reserves, 23,000 people. And uh, I scored in the reserve game on a Saturday, 23,000. 23,000 people, is that what you said? Yeah, at the game at Oibrox. At a reserve match, Jesus. A reserve match. And I scored and made a 2-1 on the, that was on the Saturday. And he took me off at halftime. And then he played me, he brought me straight to Seaview, where the first team were actually training, where they met up on the Friday. And he brought me straight there. And he called me in after my dinner on a Saturday to say, you're going to be starting tomorrow. And that was at Ibrox when I scored the volley. So you scored against Rangers twice in two days? <laughs> twice in two days, yeah. Twice in two days. And you know what? The, the senior players that I live around now, the likes of John Hart and all, I speak to John regularly. He's great. What a, what a guy, boys. If you ever want to speak to him, I'll speak to him for you to, to get him on for you. He's an absolutely diamond. But we do be doing uh, after dinner talks and stuff, and we get up and you sit on the stool and you have to wake and people pop the questions. And I always go, Paul, oh, what was that feeling like scoring the goal against Rangers? And my, my little comeback would be, well, you know, which one? You know, because it's, you know, it's a little bit of cheapness. And, and John Harrison go, oh, yeah, you're still fucking 11 behind me. You know, he's got 13, he's got 13 goals against Rangers. You're still only 11 behind me. And I'd go, ah, yeah, but listen to this Kenny Daglish, Jimmy Johnston, Henrik Larson. And Paul Bourne, what's the ring to it? You all are number seven. <laughs> so that's just sort of a little bit of banter we get. And people sort of like, some, some people would, you know, we said that in the pub messing or something, you know, I, you know, come on and show you a few videos or whatever. People get offended. <laughs> you get offended who does he think he is and all that. And then you just stop. It gets to the stage where you, you can't say anything to have a bit, a bit of banter because someone thinks you're big-headed or, you know. So I just don't bother talking about it anymore. Well, you get asked about it enough, I'm sure, because uh, it was a very, very special moment. What a, I mean, Jesus, I remember when it happened at the time, like watching it and just thinking, unbelievable. Um, you mentioned earlier on, by the way, that um, you were on the bench against Russia for Ireland. Jack Charlton was the manager at the time. And he didn't bring you on. And this was before the 94 World Cup finals. And you didn't get included in the squad. You didn't get that international cap. And I suppose, you know, when we talk about a high like that of, of scoring an amazing goal against Rangers... The flip side of that coin must be, Jesus, I was so close to an international cap and it just didn't happen. It, 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 you, like when you're sitting on the bench, you must be thinking, come on, Jack, bring me on, bring me on. Bring, yeah, I, I want to play, I want to play. I was actually doing me stretches in front of me. Couldn't even see the game. <laughs> I'm ready, you know, I was one of them, I'm ready. But uh, no, that goes back to the Neely man again. I nearly got a cap, you know, it's... But look, as I said, yeah, I had to think about all these things that went on. If I wasn't a strong character, I would have thrown myself in the Liffey or something. But you can't, you can't, you can't mope on these things. But the biggest disappointment for me through all of this and after Jack, I felt right, okay, I have an ability. I played one of the biggest clubs in probably in the world at the time. I was playing regularly in the first team. Uh, Jack Charlton had me in, in numerous squads, and then he put me on the bench against Russia. Mick McCarthy comes in. Not a sniff. 
Not even a phone call. Not even a friendly. Nothing. That was the hardest part for me. He had listened to other people without giving me a chance. What I could do on the field. Because I thought you're only judged what you do and how you play for your country. But and not, not even a phone call. And when you say he listened to other people, what do you mean by that? Well, it's like, you know, obviously, Packy Bonner was, without, you know, going, bringing it up too much, but Packy Bonner was at Celtic at the time and all that, and I probably wasn't Packy's cup of tea, and Packy would have played at Mick McCarthy at Celtic and you heard certain things, and, you know, stupid things, you know. Oh, he, he likes his point. He's, oh, he's doing this or doing whatever. And it, just, it was just like he took a, a, a total dislike to me and never gave me that chance. That was that was that was the hardest. That was probably one of the lowest I ever felt. I didn't even get that phone call to say, you know, come and show me. I know you've been at Celtic. I know you've been in the Celtic Force team, but she knew more about Celtic than I did because he played there. And you're in Jack's squad, so you must have something. Not a phone call. So I just felt all my hard work, and all you ever want to do as a kid is play for your country. And then once that didn't happen for me then. I think it was downhill rapid from there on. I went to South End. I'd done really well. My first season and a half brought my ankle under Ronnie Wheel and then and I felt, you know, they were getting relegated South End at the time. I felt, well, I don't really want to drop it down another league. I'm probably better off coming home and playing League of Ireland. Mm. And everybody knows once you come home to start playing League of Ireland, sure. After that then you're you're just waiting the clock is ticking and you're just waiting to finish your, your career. You did win a league with Bowes under Roddy. Yeah, I won the double. I'll give you a story about Roddy. I love this. Roddy Collins was going to be sacked. We played Stamak Rovers out in Morton Stadium. It was lashing rain. It was freezing cold. And I wasn't one with the rain or the cold. And we were out in Morton Stadium. And Roddy had to win the game. He had to win the game while they were sacking him. This is, this is featuring through the club and just like that. And uh, we come in at halftime. And we're 4 nil down. And he's gone around the change room. You can picture this. He's gone around and yeah, yeah, the crombie. Once the crombie comes off and gets hung up on the yoke, it doesn't actually get hung up, gets thrown up. But once that's thrown up there, you know, you, you know someone's getting it. So basically, he's thrown it up on the thing. I thought, oh, no, I'm not even going to look at him here. I'm just, I'm just going to just look at the floor, like, you know. So he's gone around everybody. He goes to A.B. John and shit, yeah, what boots have you got on? He said, oh, God, I'm going to change your boots now. Yeah, into your shoes and get home. You're not going back on. You warm up. And I've seen this, and I know what's coming. He's coming around to me, and he goes, uh, and you, see you. I said, Roddy, hold on for a minute before you start now. Listen. He said, do you not hear what the fans are saying? He says, no, you tell me what they're saying. So they're going, uh, 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 and I goes, oh, my. He's going, is that right, Bones? He's not what you should do, he says. Close your effing curtains. Right? And we went out and beat them 6-4 and scored one. <laughs> <laughs> We went down to Cove, right? We went down to Cove to play in the playoff. We had us travelling down to Cove. I don't know if you remember this. We played in the playoff down to Cove. We won the playoff. We stayed up. The second season, we went on. We won, we won the double. We were going down to Cove. So it was 8 o'clock in the morning, picking us up at the bell over off the, the M50 there. And I got in hours of breakfast. Well, it was only 8 o'clock. I said, yeah, man, yeah, give us two rashes, two sausages, two eggs, a bit of white pudding, a bit of black pudding. And uh, give us a bottle of uh, orange juice there, will you? Ronnie sticks his head off me shoulder and goes, who's that for? He says, for me. He said, there isn't it for you. He said, yeah, yeah, love, yeah, don't give him that. No, give me it. I said, well, you know what you can do? You can pay for it. You know what he's doing? He gave it to the bus driver, right? And the bus driver was still eating when we arrived in Cork. 
It was that big. It was like a Vienna roll. It was like a, it was like a Vienna roll. <laughs> I, had, I had about 15 grannies and 14 grandas, and they all died on the Wednesday because he used to bring us to this boxing club, right? But I was always at a funeral. He used to say, Roddy, I'm a lover, not a fighter. But to see, one day he came out there. We were trailing out in the Alta there. And he opens up this black bag. He's got everybody to stand around around the change room and move the, the treatment table across. He opens up this black bag. Two pairs of Spartan boxing gloves come over. And I was going, oh, all right, here we go. And he goes, you, put them on. If you can't come to the gym, the gym is coming to you. And we bet each other for about 10 minutes in the change room. Oh, he was, you know what, he was, he was just, he, he was brilliant. He was brilliant. You know, he, you know, he couldn't coach to save his life, but his motivation and his, his things behind things, his thinking behind things and to get you, to make a player, you know, a half decent player into such a good player. And he made you feel 10 foot tall sometimes. And, you know, look at the team he had, Glenn Crow, Billy Bull, you know, you had uh, Brian Shelley, Morrow, Kevin Hunt, Webby. Berg of Harkin. Like, geez, we 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 some we some side. We really had some side. You know, I think we had teams before we even went down the pitch, I think. Just thinking uh, Roddy would be great with it on that project that you're going to be working on with the kids coming back from the UK. Uh, I think he'd be fantastic with them as well in terms of building them up again and telling them how good people they are, you know. Well, we can always send them down to the boxing ring down to Roddy. Yeah. If you, if you exactly. don't want to do Roddy can knock a few uh, a bit of sense into them and send them back up to us or something like that. Yeah, but um regards uh motivation talks maybe, yeah, on the training ground. But the thing is, Con, it's all there for you. You got a full report from the English club. They should be able to give you a report from the time he walks in that door from the time he walks out. On everything that he's done on and off the field. He's good enough. To, he's good enough to go away in the first place. All you're doing is reading off a script and 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 having one-on-one conversations and having group conversations because there's going to be twenty players or thirty players in the same situation. Some people won't open up to certain people, so you've got to try and get the kids to open up and speak to each other and help each other along. And by doing that, then you're training and you're making them stronger and building, giving them confidence and telling them, look, you know, you're not a failure. Things haven't worked this time, but let's let's do six-month program and see where you are after six months. If you want to get away from football, we speak to someone in a college somewhere and we get you educated. Or do some sort of education in some camp or something like that. Do classroom work after training. It's not going to be everybody's cup of tea, but if these, if these kids are serious about where they want to go in life, I think it could be something that could help them. Before we let you go, um, Paul, you mentioned Curtis a couple of times. I mean, I, I didn't realise you were only 17 when Curtis was born, but uh, I mean, Conan played with Curtis at... Um, at Shells and now Curtis is with Athlone, they're flying in the first division. Um, so I, he must be a bit of a chip off the old block. He's, do you know what? He's totally different to me. He's just the total flip. He, he, and if you speak to Curtis, Curtis will always tell you, I've done the opposite of what my dad done. That's basically it. And I felt it was very unfair for Curtis through his year because it was hard for him. It was really hard for him being that obviously, and I'm blowing my own trumpet, I'm not bigging myself up, but. People were sort of expecting Curtis to do the same things that I was doing on the football field. You know, they thought when they were getting Curtis born, they thought like, you know, he starts ball going, he's going to be on that. I used to always say to Curtis, go and play your own game. Be yourself. Work hard. Work with your teammates. Put in a good individual performance and also put in a good team performance and work as hard as you can. Because your touch might be off one day. You know, your shooting boots might be on one day. 
doesn't stop you from working your socks off. And that's the message you got to get across. Because your touch is off or your shooting boots are off, work hard. Because when you work hard, when your shooting boots are on, and your touch is on, and you're on your game, there's no one going to stop you. But if you don't work hard, it's a long road back. So keep working hard. Work hard in the training ground. If you really want something, go and get it. Go and get it. Work for it. It's not going to be given to you. Technically, Paul, um, Curtis, I'm sure, had the kind of same technique as you because he scored some outrageous goals. And I'm just thinking that maybe he was doing this of similar things when he was a boy that you were doing. And you were saying you were out the back garden with your, when your father looking out the window. I'd say it was similar with Curtis as well because he uh, his technique is frightening. I used to have Curtis on Parkhead. I used to take 20 training balls out of me. And Packy was out on the training ground one day and he'll tell you this. Packy Bonner will tell you this. I used to bounce the ball in front of Curtis. He's only about three at the time. Could have been three and a half. And I bounced the ball in front of him. And he put his laces through and he's whacking it in off the crossbar from six yards at that age. Packy couldn't believe it. And I've watched him and I've watched him score some goals. And I've always said to him what my dad always said to me. Keepers don't expect things first time. And it's, it's true, they don't. Because they're thinking, he's not going to hit that from there, surely. No, he's not. So he used to, oh, he scored some goals. He got a hat-trick, um, I think it was in, I think it was again for balls against Dundalk in the, I don't know, the Egg Cup or the Mickey Mouse Cup. And he was one of the cups there anyway that he, and he scored an outrageous hat-trick. He scored from the halfway line. He got another one from the halfway line against Shells. His volleys, his technique, his touch. Court was always lacking in something. He was always lacking in something. You know, he probably didn't have that little bit extra pace or I don't know what happened, but there was something not right to go to that next level. I had to go to the next level, but I didn't work hard enough to stay there once I got there. I thought I'd made it. But it's the worst thing you can do, the worst thing you can think. Because once you fall and start to fall, it's a free fall down. And believe you and me, there's no one to pick you back up. Well, there's no doubt about it, um, Paul Byrne. Your career was a, a roller coaster. It was a magical journey in many ways. And um, you had some amazing highs. You had the disappointments that you've spoken about as well. Um, thanks a million for talking to us. I hope the COVID thing sorts itself out. Obviously, it's been a disaster for everybody and a terrible tragedy for some people. Um from your own point of view, with the Celtic legends and stuff, travelling has been uh, knocked on the head for the time being. But uh, hopefully you'll be back on the road with the boys uh, fairly soon. Because one thing is for sure, you can talk. Thanks, Con. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. And, you know, as I say, maybe down the road you'll be able to see, maybe get this project off the ground and, and the likes of yourselves. And you'll be able to help these young kids to, to live their dreams. Would love to. No Would problem. love to. No problem, lads. That would be a pleasure. Listen, best of luck with the football group and everything else, Paul. Thanks a million for talking Cheers, to Paul. us. Cheers, Paul. Thank you. Thanks, lads. Thank you. So thanks a million to Paul, who mentioned Curtis there, who's... Um, is he captain with that lone town? He is, yes. Yeah. season now, Conan. Yeah. They're flying uh, on 14 points after a 3-0 win against Wexford at the weekend. Uh, Galway and UCD drew two all. Another late goal for Galway. So um, they got a late one last week and a, a late equaliser this week. Uh, Shelburne, 3-1 winners. At Cabin Teeley, uh, Michael O'Connor from the penalty spot uh, with his first goal <clears throat> since his move to Shelves. Kevin Knight was sent off late in that game. Treaty United beat Cork City 2-1. Uh, Matt Keane with the winner there. 
and Bray uh, beating Cove. What was the score in Cove? I, I, that's the one game I didn't write the oh, results it was, one it was last night. Yeah, it was one, one all. Yeah, oh, Gene Mackers, sorry about that. It was one nil <laughs> when I last watched. Yeah, Charlie Lyons scored a late penalty. So uh, he slotted one in. Um, so when we look at those results, I mean, Athlone powering head, obviously Wexford still without any points in the table. So you would have expected Athlone to win that. But uh, your old pal James Doonan was on the score sheet there for Athlone as well. Yeah, absolutely. Again, another ter- a terrific start. I was it was fully expecting them to win the game, um, considering the start they had. A little slight worry was that w- w- were they going to give enough respect to Wexford, um, going into the game, and by all accounts, Wexford dominated large spells of the game itself. Um, but Athlone showed their quality in the end. Shane Barnes with a wonderful finish to make it three, um, and yet yeah, fully deserved um three points for Athlone in the end and. They're just not stopping, as I like as, as I keep saying every single week. They just they they are all just proving to themselves and to their manager and to the to other clubs that that these are good players. And like we talked about with Paul earlier on, a lot of these players may, may have come back from England. The likes of Curtis that was over with TNS in uh, in Wales, and look at the yeah, look what he's doing at the moment. Now he's captain in Athlone, um, riding high at the top of the first division, and as I said, he's technically excellent. Um, so fair play. Really good start. Mm. Colin Whelan got another goal for UCD again as well. That's his fifth of the season. Yeah, he's so Already the people will be having a look at him. Yeah, Asher, I think they'll be looking at him for the last number of years now, Colin, because he's been he's been really, really good. He's just very consistent now. He's, he's, he's starting to score most weeks. UCD just conceding those late goals. They conceded a late goal against Atlanta at the start of the season and they conceded another late goal away to Galway. And um, they conceded late goals last year. I remember in the playoff games as well, they, they conceded late. And um, they need to need to stop making make, making those uh, late errors in games. Um, otherwise, they they won't uh, they won't be challenging at the top. Uh, Treaty up to nine points now after their two one win against Cork. It's not quite happening for Cork at the moment. They're, they're still on uh, three points. By the way, um, Brian O'Brien, who's involved with them um, Pike Rovers, sent me up some stuff during the week. For thanks a million to uh, Brian, including uh, Treaty's first program. Uh, of the season when they played Wexford back at the uh, start of the month. And I have to say, credit to Eric McNulty, who's the programme editor. It is a brilliant production. I mean, it's really good. I don't know if they'll be able to keep it up for the rest of the season, but the quality of the uh, programme is fantastic. And they've made a very positive start under Tommy Barrett. Excellent. And again, I I fancy them to win. Um, Cork aren't the team of old. They're they're all over the place. They really are. And um, from a team that was gone, from a club that was riding high only a couple of years ago, playing in European competition to see where they are now, it's a huge fall from grace for a club like Cork. And um, yeah, it's really just a real rebuild situation there, isn't it? I mean, can they do that? Of course they can. Look, they've done it before, you know, but I don't know. Like, as I said, they're, they're in, they invested in youth this year, but they always need some experience in that side. And I know they have the likes of Stephen Beattie and, and Mark McNulty, but they're lacking up front. They really are. They're, they don't have enough goal scorers in that's in in their in their squad to, to win games, to win enough games, and that that's their big problem. And um, they're relying on the likes of King Coleman, and who got the goal the other night as well to to, to score goals. So that's going to be their problem this season. Is is in front of the goal. 
apologies to Cove Ramblers for not uh, noting there. I had all my notes written out, and it was the one one I left blank. It just it slipped my mind. But uh, Charlie Lyons with the late uh, penalty there to pull it back after Brandon Cavanagh had scored for uh, Bray. Bray play Cork next week. Athlone against Cabin Tealy, Wexford against UCD, Shells against Treaty, and Cove against Galway. Shells versus Treaty United, probably the um, match of the round. Yeah, yeah, Shell's Treaty would be very high up there, Max. I'm really looking forward to seeing how Bray and Cork get on because Bray haven't started the season well either. Um, still winless. Um, they've got they've picked up four draws and a defeat. Not the start that Gary Cronin would have wanted, especially one 0 up. And as I said, going into the last fifteen minutes down in Cove, you expect it, um with the defense that they have to see the game out. They didn't, and um, yeah, like look, even look at the bottom four at, in the first division: Bray, Galway, Cork, and Wexford. You would never have said that at the start of the season. You'd nearly put three of those in the top three. Um, so, yeah, it's it's funny how the first division works. A lot of people think, ah, it's the first division. Well, top teams will usually just be on top, but it's not, the, it's not the case at all. First division is a very, very competitive and difficult league. Pitches aren't in good nick. Um, you're not relying on, on the passing game as much as you would be maybe in the Premier Division. So, um, yeah, it's all about mentality down in that first division. And... Um, yeah, it hasn't been a good start for, for the clubs mentioned like Bray, Galway and Cork. In the Women's National League, P-Mount beat Bowes 3-0, uh, DLR Waves 1-0 winners at Cork. Uh, Galway beat Treaties, women's team 4-1 and Wexford Utes beat Athlone Town by a goal to nil. Kylie Murphy's uh, penalty separating the sides. Their shells had the weekend off because of the uneven numbers. So P-Mount clear at the top. Bowes held them for a while, but uh, P-Mount's class showed in the end and a 3-0 comfortable win. Absolutely. Eleanor Ryan Doyle as well on the score sheet. Um, free kick, magnificent goal. Really impressed with DLR Waves this year, Con. Uh, Graham Kelly in charge um, and Jess Gleeson with a bullet of a free kick down at Turner's Cross. Fantastic goal. Brilliant goal. Yeah. Excellent goal. And that's two great wins in a row. They backed Galway last week um, and they'll cork away this week. So two fantastic victories for them. Um, Rachel Cairns bagged her sixth goal of the season as well for Galway so she's absolutely flying um, and that game was all but over just before they, they had three goals in three minutes to put them 4-0 up um, in the first half against Treaty so there was no really coming back for them and Kylie Murphy on the score sheet again from the penalty spot so um, not the you wouldn't not the most convincing victories over at Lone for Wexford but at the same time a win's a win and uh, yeah another three points for Wexford um, Fair play to watch LOI yeah uh, Really good coverage of the games uh, this weekend. I enjoyed uh, Joey Endo's contribution from the showgrounds. Uh, Gary Rogers uh, from Oriel Park as well. The uh, coverage of the games very good this weekend. So uh, fair play to the lads. Shame again about the um, kickoff times coincide. We're going to see the same next Friday um, because it's a bank holiday weekend. All the games are on Friday, so it's Pats against Longford, Drada against Ligo Rovers. Bowes against Derry, Waterford, Dundalk, and Finn Harps against Shamrock Rovers. Um, for me, Bowes Derry match there is probably the one that stands out, catches the eye. Yeah, Rory Higgins going back down to Daymount Park as well. So yeah, yeah, it'd be really interesting to see how that goes. Um, that's where Raf Cataro and and Rory Higgins met. Um, as players, and they're the two of them both yeah. in the dugout now against Bowes as well. So that'll be a, a very interesting game. So it probably would be the pick of the pick of the ties. Um. Yeah, because you're looking at the same Pats Longford, it's nearly toughly bottom there. Um, I suppose Finn Harps against uh, Shamrock Rovers, considering where they are in the table, Finn Harps sitting in fourth place. Mm. Um, not as good in the opening, uh, in the last few games as they have to be in the opening few. Um, and with St. Pats going up there to win 2 0, uh, winning 2 0 last Friday, I'm sure Shamrock Rovers will be going up in the hope of getting a similar scoreline. 
tricky place to go though. I mean, I think Pats did really well with that uh, 2-0 win. Um Drada Sligo I think is probably going to be an interesting one um as well. So we'll see obviously it's a double weekend next weekend with the Friday and Monday matches as well. So it's going to be um it's going to be very busy. Um that's all we have time for on LOI Arena this week Conan thanks a million um for your company as ever. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, you too, Colin. Um, I look forward to great, seeing you in person. Uh, guest to have. I must say, really enjoyed talking to Paul Byrne. Um, good luck on uh, Tuesday in the Cup against Dungannon. Thank you very much. Yeah, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll get, get things across for you. Yeah, thanks very much. And uh, thanks a million to everybody who's uh, listened as well. Again, if you want to get in touch with us, LOI uh, at PunditArena.com is the email and on Twitter uh, at LOI underscore Arena. And if you just hashtag it, LOI Arena, uh, we're going to see it and we'll get back to you. So thanks a million for being with us and uh, we'll talk to you next week. All the best.